Thank you, Shelly. Um, as she said, my name is Greg Dodge, and I oversee our online connections. So online community is so great to see you. Usually I'm the, on the other side of the screen, but it's good to be with you on this side of it today. So um, for those who might not know much about me, uh, I've been a German teacher at Fairfield High School for the past 20 years. In fact, I've had all of Pastor Swellbar's kids in my classroom over those years. Uh, yeah, so I might have some stories. Um, and also, Curtis McCullough, who's our, stu uh, our student pastor, I had him for, for three years as well. Um, so I live with me, with my wife Stacy in Trenton. We've been married for the last 17 years, and she's going to be one of the directors at the new daycare center that's opening up in Trenton, which is going to be a huge blessing to that community, believe you. Uh, so, um, and so, along with Tracy Mazaferi, uh, and she's our preschool coordinator. So I love, love, love the Bible, and I love the, the power that it holds, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share a little bit of that with you guys today. So if you've been tracking along with us uh, through the month of July, we've been going through the book of Judges. Uh, as it's been mentioned before, but I think it's worth repeating, a judge is nothing like a, you know, somebody who oversees court cases, but is more like an appointed military leader by God who's there to uh, save the Israelites from some kind of oppressor. So think less Judge Judy and more uh, John Rambo. So, Yeah. <laughs> So with the, with the Rambo in mind, so we're drawn to superheroes, especially us Americans. They're stories of courage and self-sacrifice self and overcoming insurmountable odds in the face of self-doubt and, and pain. Uh, they inspire us and they give us hope. We connect with their stories. And no other character in scripture seems to come closer to what we would describe as a modern-day superhero than Samson. Um, so it's simply because of his feats, amazing feats of strength. Um, he rips a lion in half with his bare hands. He kills a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he picks and uproots an entire city gate along with its posts and hoists onto his shoulders and trudges the entire thing up a, a large hill. And in fact, some commentaries I read said it was up to 40 miles. So, I mean, this is superhuman. Uh, more precisely, this is supernatural because it's God whose spirit comes inside Samson and allows him to do these amazing feats. Um, from the moment of Samson's conception, his purpose was already written, uh, and he was meant to be set apart, to be used for God's divine purpose. Um, and so we're going to come into the birth of Samson. You could kind of call this his origin story. So Judges 13 says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And we've talked about this. So it was a, it was a pattern that the Israelites, they would, they would follow false gods, and they would fall away from, from, from God, and then God would let them fall into the hands of some kind of oppressor, and then they would cry out, and they would repent, and God would raise up a judge. So, um, and here we are with, with Samson. A certain man uh, of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is to never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here we see God's plan to use Samson to rescue the nation yet again from a foreign oppression. Uh, this time it's the Philistines. So Joel talked last week on Gideon, and Gideon saved them from the Midianites. And then um, Shelley talked a week before with Deborah and the Dorshini moments. And Deborah in, uh, defeated with Barak was the Sisera and his army, and they were part of the Canaanites. So God was setting 
Samson apart, and he did this setting apart by commanding Samson to obey the Nazarite vow for the entire span of his lifetime. In fact, it wasn't just his lifetime. Uh, in the text, we saw that his mom, during her pregnancy, from the moment of conception, that she was also supposed to take part in this as well. And those were, there were the, these Nazarite vow, it's explained in number 6, uh, 1 through 21, but it consists of three different things. Number one was don't drink any alcohol. In fact, it was more, more than that. It was don't eat or drink anything that had to do with grapes. Number two was don't go anything near and anything that's dead. So that included family members. So it specifically says this in, in Numbers when it's giving this vow. It says, hey, if your father or your mother or your brother or your sister, uh, if, they, if they pass away and you were to go to their funeral, if you're close to their body, then you would have to re-up your, your Nazarite vow. So let's say you did it for two years and you're in month like 19. Then you would have to start over and you know you would have to which was number three cut your hair and you would have to start over from scratch so over the next few minutes we're going to explore three key takeaways that we can draw out from Samson's story and I'll go briefly through them here and then we'll jump into the text number one is outward appearance does not reflect the inward heart outward appearance does not reflect the inward heart number two when conflict arises we can either pour gasoline or water on the situation uh, and this is something that I say to my son uh, a lot of times he likes to to, to like uh, argue or you know he would be good for like a like in a debate team because he's always trying I don't know if you guys have kids like that but he's always trying to debate things and so hey I, I came up with this phrase like hey buddy I was like you can either pour when conflict arises you can either pour gasoline or water on it and so it's a phrase and I told him I was like hey I'm actually using this in this message and he thought that was pretty cool so and then number three we all all have at least one thing that the enemy uses to draw us away from God's plan for our lives so let's start with this first key point outward appearance does not reflect the inward heart so if you were living in those days and you saw Samson, it looked, his appearances, he appeared to be a man that was devoted to, his, to, to God. His long hair represented that he was set apart because Jewish law had detailed instructions on how men and especially priests were to keep their hair. And long hair was not, super long hair was not part of it. In those days for a Jewish man to have long hair was a clear and obvious sign that he was dedicating himself to God fully and completely for that time. Or it could have been that they just weren't Jewish at all if you were in a different town where there was, they weren't there. So the Nazarite vow was mostly temporary, but in the case of Samson, as we've talked about it, this was a lifelong from, from conception, from womb to tomb. Um, however, as we will read in Scripture, Samson's actions did not display someone who had devoted himself to God at all. More, moreover, his life is more marked with rash and selfish decisions, along with a lot of arrogance and a lot of pride. Um, this is where we kind of get to meet Samson, Judges 14.1. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a Philistine woman. So let's pause right here for a moment and let's get some context to what's going on here. So have you guys, uh, this phrase was, was kind of new to me, um, but have you guys heard this? It says, nothing good happens after midnight. Are you guys familiar with this phrase? Wow, okay. So I got super, super familiar with this phrase when I was dating my wife, Stacy. So all throughout our dating process and even into our engagement, like uh, she had a curfew. And so her dad was like, hey, you know, nothing good happens after midnight. She's got a midnight curfew. So even up to the day right before our rehearsal dinner, I remember we were like hustling. We were in our new house. We were painting it. And then I was like, we got to get you home. And so I dropped her off. And so, uh, yeah, because it sounds cliche, but it's really true. Um, now that I'm a father myself, I think I'm going to actually borrow this tagline from my father-in-law. It's late, 
it's dark. Bad things tend to happen uh, more frequently under the cover of darkness. And so before the Israelites, we're going to rewind a little bit here, before the Israelites crossed into the promised land, God instructed Moses to warn them to destroy all the people along with their foreign gods and their idols and, um, and, the, and their territories, or else they would begin to pick up their evil practices and then they would fall away from God and Yahweh. So, and did they do this? No, of course not. Um, After Moses came Joshua, and Joshua, before his death, he repeated the same very message. And of course, they still didn't listen. After Joshua came the period of the judges, so this is where we're at now, and here we see Samson right in the thick of a neighboring Philistine city. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Um, So years ago, uh, my wife and I would do um, middle school ministry out of our home. And so I would do this uh, thing to show what the people that you're around affects who you become. And so I would take usually a smaller kid and a bigger kid, and I would ask the smaller kid, all right, try to, and I'd put out a chair. And I would say, try to take this small person and put, or the bigger person, lift him onto the chair. And of course they struggled. It was almost impossible. But then I took the larger person, I put him on the chair. I said, okay, now I want you to grab his arm or her arm, and I want you to pull them down. And it was to show them it's much easier for somebody to pull you down than for you to lift, lift them up. So, you're, so being here, we have, you know, Samson in the middle of, of these Philistines, and so it's going to be much easier for them to pull him down from his purpose and his plan than for him to make a, a, a difference in their lives. So when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson, so they're saying the same message that Moses and, and Joshua were saying. Hey, look, we're commanded. We're not supposed to intermarry with them. But he didn't listen. So Samson says this. So Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking on an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So Samson's focus wasn't on God. It was on what he wanted and what he wanted right now. But if you read in there, it says that this was the Lord's plan. So it goes to show you that no matter what we do in our lives, you know, the mistakes and the sin uh, and the conflict that we cause, that if we repent, that God can use that for his sovereign will. Uh, So we can't overthrow God's sovereignty and his will in our lives. So... um, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I don't know if people actually tore young goats then, but it sounds like it was, I was like, okay, that's the the association they make here. Um, So, but he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Okay, so sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass that he just killed. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Um, He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. So here we see him going near something that's dead uh, and actually scooping honey out and touching it. So this is breaking one of his his Nazarite vows. Uh, When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass because he knew he'd be called to the carpet. And they would say, hey, look, you know you're not supposed to do that. You're set apart. 
These are things that you have to do. So uh, some other examples of him doing things that maybe he shouldn't have been doing is uh, right after that, literally, the, the Bible, go, go, the story goes into him providing an occasion, uh, which is a, his wedding feast. It's, and so I'm actually right after this, we have to hustle and we have to go up to Ada, Ohio, if anybody knows where that's at. We have to go to a wedding. And so, you know, we come and we leave. But in those days, they were longer occasions. So this was a seven-day feast. Uh, and so he provides this occasion where most likely there was going to be people drinking wine uh, and that, you know, he might be taking part in it because, of course, it's his wedding. Um, and during that very same feast, he makes a bet with some of the Philistines in which he says a riddle. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. So he's taking his experience that he had with the lion, all right, and he's making a riddle that there's no way they're going to be able to answer. But he made a bet and he said, hey, so the Philistines, they're not able to figure it out. Um, so they threaten to kill Samson's new wife, which we'll talk about later, and her entire family. So she has the choice whether, do I, do I save my family or do I, you know, not find out this riddle? Needless to say, Samson loses this bet, uh, for which he goes to a neighboring Philistine town, and he kills 30 men and takes their clothes off of them, thus touching uh, 30 dead bodies. So here, just really early, we're just introduced to Samson, and he's already broken two, most likely, of his Nazarite vows. Um, but he still has long hair. We'll see if this lasts. So the point I'm trying to make here with Samson's life is outward appearance, I'm set apart, does not reflect the inward heart. Um, Jesus, he had the very same issue with the Pharisees. In one confrontation, he brought down what they call seven woes onto them. Um, it's his final days. He's in Jerusalem. It's right before the crucifixion. So he doesn't have time to mince words, uh, and, he, and, he, and he openly rebukes the Pharisees in public, uh, in front of everybody. And so here, picture Jesus in the marketplace, everybody, crowds are around him, and he is just tearing into these Pharisees. And if you have a chance to read Matthew 23, it's really, so we have this vision of Jesus as this loving and meek and gentle, but he is really ticked off, and he's mad because outward appearance of the Pharisees does not reflect the inward heart. And this is what he says. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will be clean. So if we work on our inside, we work on our heart, we surrender that God things will fall into place. Woe to you teachers of the law, you uh, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, Yes, clean the outside of the dish, and then you'll be clean. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So again, outward appearance does not reflect the inward heart. Our modern church and world will allow us if we, to do the same if we are not alert. We can come most Sundays and look like we have it together and live independent and disconnected from other people. Um, this is far, a far cry from how the early church lived, where they lived in communities and they ate together and they prayed together and they worshiped together. Our modern conveniences have allowed us to hide and remain generally anonymous and unseen to the world around us. No one has to see our true selves. It's actually more work and more effort to connect with others than to stay in our own bubbles. Um, much like Samson, if we're not careful, our modernity can lull us into being self-reliant, self-assured, and self-confident. Uh, but here at Community, we have the three C's, and they stand for celebrate, connect, and contribute. And I'm just going to talk about the connect part. Um, so 
we find ways to connect with other like-minded believers in order to grow in our faith. So we, we have things such as Bible studies and small groups. So my wife and I, we joined a marriage study, uh, a marriage small group about a year ago, and it's been so life-giving for us because we were around people who are in the same stage of life as us. Some people are, have kids that, so we have a 14 and 11-year-old, but we have, some people have kids who are moved out and in college, or you know, some people have, kid, people have kids that are younger. But it's nice to, to learn and grow and also to, to give feedback and information to people who are a little bit behind us. Um, we, we even went on a, uh, you can go, we went on an outing, we went bowling, and it was really fun. Um, we have pickleball on Tuesdays, uh, and our gathering lunches that we host uh, after our 1030 services at about once every three months. Um, and in fact, like, um, there is a lady who, who watches online, but she also comes in person. Her name's Jody, and she reached out to me, and she was wanting to start a grief group. Uh, she wanted to take her story um, of grief and of loss, and she was wanting to give that a higher purpose. And I thought that was pretty amazing. So if that is something that you would be interested in, um, please either see me or one of our leaders, because we would love to get that going and make that available to you guys. Um, we want to fight back as a church against the tendency to hide, to close ourselves off, and to remain isolated from other believers. We were never meant to walk out our Christian faith alone. Um, we believe that real connection is done in circles and around dinner tables and at coffee shops and in how are you doing texts, not in rows once a week for, you know, th- throughout the month. Um, James 5.16 says this. It says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So it's confessing our sins one to another. But you can only have that kind of raw and uh, honesty and vulnerability if you are either A, anonymous, so I can be my real self. This person doesn't know me. I can hide. They don't, they're never going to know who I am. Or have someone that you, you trust deeply and that, know, that you know loves you and will not judge you. Um, so, in fact, earlier in the text, it says, hey, if any of you have trouble, let them know. Or if any of you are sick or any among your um, call an elder uh, or happy. But how can they know that if they don't know one another, if they're disconnected? Romans 12, 12, and 14 says, there is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. I look around here, and I see one body. We might be all different individuals, but we're one body. And the enemy wants us disconnected, disjointed. But if we are connected, we are strong. And we can take the message of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. And we can, we can take it further than we could alone. With that in mind, we'll be starting back our Wednesday small groups in August. We would love to see many of you guys connecting with and growing in your faith alongside other believers, which can only impact our community and the world for God's kingdom. So keep a lookout for that. Um, As you read the story of Samson, you'll notice whenever there's a conflict, he fans the flame. I mean, Samson was a pot stirrer to the umpteenth degree. So when conflict arises, you can either pour water on it or gasoline. So again, I I mentioned this before, but Samson marries this young woman from Timnah, and during their wedding feast, he gives this riddle to the Philistines who are chosen to be his companions at the wedding. If the Philistines are able to solve it, then he has to give them some garments of clothing and some bed linens. Uh, But however, if they're not, and this is a ridiculous riddle because only he would know what's going on, he has to pay up. The men aren't able to figure it out, so midway through the wedding uh, feast, they threaten to burn Samson's new wife and her entire family, and she's forced to coax an answer out of them and says... 
the Bible says, and for the next several days, uh, um, Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you really don't love me. And it goes on to say, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. So before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Guys, just forewarned, don't call your wife a heifer, all right? So that's not good. So he went down to Ascalon, and he struck down 30 of their men, and he stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to the men who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And then the next verse uh, says that um, he returns home, and then they give his new wife to one of the companions that was in his wedding feast. So this is gasoline. Instead of simply just owning up to his end of the deal, Samson goes down to a neighboring Philistine town and he kills 30 of those men. And then this moment right here, this in turn starts a chain reaction of events that will leave a path of destruction in Samson's wake and eventually will lead to his ultimate demise. Uh, Judges 15 says, Later on at that time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go. Of course, because he had, I was sure you hated her. He said, that I gave her to your companions. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right. Does he have a right to get even with the Philistines? I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. And the first verse there says it was the wheat harvest time. So this is a time that they were ready and prepared to gather this stuff so that they, over the winter, um, they would have food. And now everything's been burned to the ground. The whole community is going to be like, what are we going to do? We don't have any food. We're going to starve to death. So they're definitely enraged. So it says that when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and they burned her and her father to death. So she tried to avoid this um, by coaxing the riddle out of him, and eventually it ended up happening anyways. So Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. You see a growing theme. He gets mad. He, gets, he wants to get even. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them, and then he went down and stayed in the cave, cave of the Rock of Etam. So again, more and more gasoline. The flame of revenge keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter and eventually leading Samson to being tied up and brought before the Philistines by his very own people um, because they want to get rid of the problem. Um, So, of course, with his strength, he's able to break free of these chains and he kills a 1,000 Philistine men with a jawbone of a donkey and instead a fresh jawbone, which means it was just... So, again, something that was dead, so it was newly dead, he kills a 1,000 men, breaking again the Nazarite vow. Um, so Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, other, of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as far as we can do things, we want to create an atmosphere where, where peace is the, is the way. Uh, we don't want to stir up things. But it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, 
Matthew 5, 9 um, says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want us to be peacemakers and not pot stirrers. So let me ask you guys a question. How would Samson's story have been different if he had sought peace instead of conflict? There have been a lot less hurt, a lot less pain, a lot less killing and death. Um, And so it would have looked far different. Um, So as we look through the life of Samson, ask yourself, does my inward heart reflect my outward appearance? And when conflict arises in my life, do I pour water or gasoline on it? Uh, The last thing is one thing. So the enemy has, it's usually more than one thing, but at least one thing that he's going to use to draw you away from your plan and purpose that God has set you apart for. Just like, just like Samson was set apart, you know, the Israelites were also supposed to be set apart. And just like the Israelites in Samson, we are supposed to be set apart. Uh, but the enemy is going to do something to keep us from that. So uh, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how, he can over, and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So I don't know if any of you out there are, have been following along with the Bible tribe. Shelly Shelley did the Bible tribe. And so um, something that was really cool that I never thought about is when there's, you read uh, some, some of the uh, books of the Bible, and then there's a accompanying podcast. And so in the podcast, uh, the lady who does it, she, she mentioned this. She's like, this theory. And I thought it was really, really interesting. So I don't know if, so if you've ever grown up in Sunday school or you saw coloring pages or whatever, we get this image of, of Samson. He's strong. He's muscular. He's big. He looks like Hercules or, or Thor or something like that. Uh, but I, I think possibly, and I agree with her maybe, that he wasn't. He didn't have muscles um, because the Israelite or the, the Philistines are asking Delilah, can you figure out, show us the secret of his strength? If he had muscles, it would be clear and obvious. But this, so they're trying to figure out. So Delilah asks Samson on three different occasions how he gets his strength. And each time he gives her a reason and she follows exactly what he says. You know, and then a raid of Philistines come in to subdue him, but he overpowers him because he doesn't tell her the truth. Um, and, and, but the fourth time, however, is different. It says, then she said to him, how can you say, I love you, and you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So there's a lot of similarities between his, the, his wife that he had um, originally and then Delilah. They're, they're saying, you don't love me, you know, and so they're wearing him down. And so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from, the, from my mother's womb. If my head were to be shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had, hurt, uh, that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back. Once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver they promised her in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. So this was a really good visual of what the enemy wants to do with us. 
So we have uh, Samson falling asleep. The enemy wants to lull us and woo us and, and then separating us from, from God and just slowly and surely just kind of like lulling us to sleep. So then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out. Or, so Samson, the, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up uh, from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So the things that had been deceiving him got gouged out. His eyes, he loses his eyesight. And also they have him grinding grain at the mill. And this must have been a huge affront to Samson, somebody who, who's defined by his strength and his power for his whole entire life because this was a woman's job. They didn't even, he wasn't even powerful enough to do a man's work. So my one thing, what is my one thing? So um, it's kind of, so my one, a couple things that, that the enemy uses to, to, to get to me is, this is a little embarrassing, but I'm putting out there, online chess. Do we have anybody out here that actually pays, plays chess? The first service, nobody plays chess. Does anybody like chess? Anybody willing and brave? My man over there, thank you so much. So uh, yes, I, I can be physically present in my household. So a lot of people, they might binge watch Netflix or they might well, you know, scroll through social media. Me, I get on my phone and I'm playing chess for could be hours if I'm not careful. So I have to be super alert. So I can be physically present somewhere, but honestly, I'm really not there at all. Um, another thing is work. And uh, for us men, especially, we can find our identity, um, our purpose um, our, you know, in our work. And we can go headstrong into what we're doing. And we can, we can leave what's really important, like our family, behind and make them second to, to, our, to work. So um, these things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. It's when they are elevated to be more important, resulting in us neglecting other things like our family and our faith, that they become an issue. Um, so just like the Israelites who were commanded to tear down all the idols and foreign gods in their day, it would be great. It would be of great benefit for us if we take heed and do that very same thing. We find those things, we identify those things that the enemy's trying to use to bring to bring us down, bring us away from God's power and God's light. Um, and, we, and we tear those down as well. So there's a pastor that I follow, and this is kind of his tagline. He says it quite often, and I think it's super, super appropriate for, here, for this occasion. He says, if a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it then becomes a destructive thing. I'll say that again. If a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it then becomes a destructive thing. The Apostle Paul talks about the thorn in his side, some, something to keep him humble and knowing that his true strength comes from, from Jesus, from God, um, and only from God. Even Superman has something that kills and destroys him. Do you guys know what that is? Kryptonite, that's correct. Um, so we are marked by God. We have his stamp written all over it. It's called the Imago Dei, the image, image of God. And so I'm going to throw some, some images here, and I just want you to call out what you see and see if you can identify them. That's the Michelin Man. Good job. Next one. Pepsi, Pepsi right? Pringles. Pringles. That was a little bit tougher. I wasn't sure about that. And then the last Starbucks. See, you guys can look at that and instantly you know what that is. Well, the same thing with the enemy. He sees us, and he sees God's watermark on all of us, all right? Um, and he, he will do, go to any lengths to keep you and I from knowing God's purpose, true purpose and plan for us. Um, Psalms 139, 13 through 14 says, For you created me in my, 
created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full, full well. God created each and every one of you with a deep purpose to be set apart, to make a difference in this world for his namesake. But the enemy knows that, and this is his plan. John 10, 10 says, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I want you guys to think, what is your bait? What is your kryptonite? Could it be unforgiveness, fear, jealousy, pornography, shopping, alcohol, social media, anger, comparing your life to others, walling off so that nobody can get in? Um, I was talking with our student pastor, Curtis, um, and he told me something that I didn't know about how Superman regains his strength. Uh, when kryptonite tries to tear him down and destroy him and kill him. He flies up through the clouds towards the sun, and he, and he stays in the light. And so that's the way that we free the power of sin in our lives. We take it and we give it to God. We bring our sin and our junk and our mess, and we let God's light be exposed to God's light. Um, so now the rulers of the Philistines assemble, this is, the, this is Samson's life, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson into our, our, our enemy into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. So they're bringing back what Samson did. He burned down their crops. He laid waste their land. He killed a lot, a lot of their people. When the people saw him, they praised their God. They're saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so they may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So after a life of mostly chasing after his wants and his desires and relying on himself, Samson humbles himself, recognizes God, Yahweh, as the source of his strength and then asks him to use him just one last time. And Samson destroys more Philistines in his final moments and during his, last, last, during his lifetime. If you read the text, when he's talking, when Delilah is talking about where he gets his source of strength, he says, he talks about God and his Nazarite vow. But when he refers to God, he refers to him as Elohim. And Elohim is just the common general term for God, so it's kind of like an, in God we trust or a one nation under God. But there's a shift in his heart when he's at his end. He, he, when he asks God to use him one last time, he doesn't refer to God as Elohim, but he calls him Yahweh which is a, the personal God who's sacred, who's holy, who's set apart, who's beyond our imagination and our comprehension. See, the births and deaths of Samson and Jesus actually have some, some similarities. An angel comes to Samson's mother who is barren and tells her that he will help to lead in delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. 
Uh, an angel appears to Mary and says that she will give birth to the Messiah who will save the world. Then their deaths also have a miraculous yet tragic ending. Both Samson and Jesus are both brought out to, on full display to be mocked and displayed by others. Samson was mocked and, um, for others to taunt and ridicule, and he got what he deserved. But Jesus, on the other hand, he didn't get what, we, what he deserved, which was glory and honor and praise, but he took what you and I rightfully deserve. It's in the messy middle where the difference lies between Samson and Jesus. However, through, all, through it all, God used Samson with, its flaw, with his flaws and sin to accomplish his purpose to help rescue Israel. And God is in the business, and he still is in the business, of using broken, deeply flawed, and sinful people to accomplish his perfect will, his sovereignty rules. And he did it with Samson, he can do it surely with me, and he can do it with you guys as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Father, you know us better than ourselves. Show us what's in our hearts and help us surrender them to you. Help us to be peacemakers, Father, and not pot stirrers. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom to see where the enemy wants to steer us towards sin and away from holiness. And Father, stir our hearts towards you to accomplish your perfect will, to be set apart on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen.